Expectations govern so much of our lives. And you know me, I'm trying to convince anybody and everybody to go out and share the gospel. I'm trying to convince anybody and everybody to come with us to Marlboro, Massachusetts, go on a mission trip. I'm trying to convince anybody and everybody to move toward lives of radical gospel sacrifice. I think one of the reasons that we don't prioritize these things is because we allow the enemy to sow expectations in our heart that keeps us from doing what God wants us to do. Yeah? I think we don't plug in and serve because we expect, I'll just get burned out, or I'm no good at that, or it won't be fulfilling, it won't be as fulfilling as this other thing that I could do. I think we don't make deep gospel sacrifices to give and to go for the gospel because we expect that other things will bring more pleasure. Expectations govern what we end up doing. Today, in 1 Thessalonians, we see some expectations. Paul, God, through Paul, gives us a little window into what we can expect when we minister the gospel when we get active in Great Commission work. And so the, the title of the sermon today is this. It's not what's in the bulletin, and that's my fault. Uh, the title of the sermon is How to Minister the Gospel and What Happens When You Do, What You Can Expect to Happen. We see just a very real story out of Paul's life about what happened to him, how it went poorly one time, and then another time, how it went really, really well. If you would, read with me 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We'll start at the beginning. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and had been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So he's saying, remember back when we were in Philippi and things were going really, really bad and we were trying to minister the gospel, but there was a ton of conflict? For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. Let's pray together. Lord, as we consider Paul's life, we know this is a guy who lived a life of radical sacrifice. And we see, Lord, a pattern that we can follow we see an example in this passage of what it looks like for things to not go well. And we see what it looks like later in the chapter for things to go really well. And we know that in between both of these possibilities, 
When we share the gospel, it could go super poorly or it could go super well. In between both of these possibilities, we see that you are always working. And because you're always working, God, would you help us to be faithful, to share the gospel, to partner with our church in Great Commission work so that we can see your glory spread across the globe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first point or the first section in this passage is just the first two verses. I'll give you a little background to this also, but the first point is this. Sometimes it goes poorly. I'm trying to manage expectations here. What, what I want you to, to understand is, is, is when we begin to share the gospel, we should expect that sometimes it will go poorly. And that's not because we failed. Sometimes it will go poorly. It went poorly for Paul. The guy who saw the risen Jesus, he met him on the Damascus Road and it blinded him and knocked him off of his horse. And Paul, who wrote much of our New Testament, there were occasions when it went really poorly for Paul. And so we should not expect that our experience will be all tiptoe through the tulips either. Look what he says here in the first couple of verses. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Let me give a little background about what's going on here. Paul had been in Philippi previously. And if you read in the book of Acts what happened to Paul in Philippi, he was kicked out of the town. They reacted so violently against the gospel message that they ran Paul out of the town. And as a matter of fact, some of the people who ran him out of the town followed him to the next town, Berea, just so that they could heckle him some more. And just so that hopefully the people in Berea would not listen to Paul. So not only did these people kick him out of their town, they followed him like, like, this, like these groupies, except they were not on his side. They were trying to undercut the message. And so Paul is, is writing to the Thessalonians, and he's like, my biggest fear for you guys is that you heard our gospel, but then these people came in and sowed seeds of doubt and caused you not to believe the gospel. So it's like there's this church in, in Philip or in uh, uh, Thessalonica, there are these believers there that heard the gospel, but, but Paul had to kind of get run out of town, and he's afraid that, that he planted some seeds and that the enemy came along and choked these seeds out. That's what he's afraid of. And look what he says later in, in chapter 2, verse 17. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. In other words, we've been separated from you. We want to see you. We want to find out how things are going. We want to find out if you're still believing the gospel or not. Did it take root in you? Because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, and again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. And then he goes into chapter 3. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, 
We were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the gospel of Christ. So Paul sends Timothy. He says, Timothy, go to Thessalonica and go find out if they're still believing the gospel. That church that we planted there, find out if they're still following Jesus. Uh, Verse 4, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer afflictions just as it had come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you for this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. You see what he's saying there? He's saying, listen, we're over here. We're getting run out of towns. We're getting beat. Paul talks in in, in Corinthians when he's writing to them about how many times he had been whipped for the gospel. And he's like, but you know what? It's all worth it hearing that you guys are still hanging on. Sometimes it goes poorly. You can hear Paul worried, worried that his ministry was in vain. You can hear Paul remembering a time when it went really poorly, when people ran him out of town, rode him out on a rail, as it were followed him to the next town to heckle him, and now he's wondering, man, I know that I preached the gospel. It's the first time that these people have ever heard the gospel, and now Satan is going to come right behind me, and he's going to choke out these seeds of the gospel. Sometimes, does it feel the same way for us, that our labor might be in vain? Maybe all the work that I'm doing in my parenting, is it in vain, all my work? at church, all my work at my job place where I'm trying to be a witness there, my sharing with my coworker, is it in vain? I remember being in student ministry, you know, youth do a lot of boneheaded things. I remember when I was in student ministry, I was pouring just my heart and my soul into my lessons each week. And it was like some of them just keep making these boneheaded decisions. I was like, is it getting anywhere? And then just this week, as I'm preparing this, this lesson, you know, so, so much of ministry, you don't see the fruit until years later, I get a text message from one of my former students saying, I wonder if you could write a letter of recommendation for me because I'm graduating from University of Kentucky and I'm going to Southern Seminary to study biblical counseling and I'm applying for uh, a scholarship. And I said, I would love to. I would absolutely love to. It's like, are you still holding on to the faith? And then you hear a message back, yes, I'm still holding on to the faith. Praise God, our work is not in vain. Lewis and Clark, on their expedition to find the Pacific coast back in the 1800s, they expected, they just had this idea, I don't know where it came from, but they expected that of their 8,000 miles that they expected to travel to the Pacific coast, that's what they thought it would take, they thought that 5,000 of it would be able to be done by water. And so they took canoes with them. They thought most of this trip is going to be by water. It's going to be much easier. But I don't know if you noticed that map. There are no rivers that run that way. 
you know, across the United States uh, most of the time. And so what they had to do at various points is pick their canoes up out of the water and carry them. Their expectations were one thing, and it turned out to go not quite so well as much of the time as they thought it would. Adoniram Judson, early Baptist missionary to Burma, he worked for six years before he saw the first Burmese person come to profess faith in Christ. Were those six years wasted? No. Paul can identify with stories like this. He's saying, I'm glad to see this fruit because I remember a season in Philippi when I just didn't think it was going to pan out. But you know what had been happening in the midst of all of Paul's doubts? in the midst of all of Paul's tears, in the midst of all of Paul's sufferings when people are driving him out of Philippi to follow him to Berea and stamp out his work. What I want you to see, church, is this. Even when it felt like it was going poorly for Paul, God was moving in human hearts behind the scenes. Our feelings of how things are going is not always a good reflection of reality. And usually, God is doing a ton more than we can see. All he wants us to do, church, is for us to be faithful. This should give us hope. We are not responsible to save anyone. We're simply responsible to share the gospel, to water the seeds that we plant. Sometimes we water them with our tears, but it's God who brings the growth. Verses 3 through 8, here's a second point. The first point is sometimes it goes poorly. Second point is this. No matter how it goes, be faithful. No matter how it goes, be faithful. Notice what happens here in verses 3 through 8. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. Have you ever wondered why Paul got driven out of town? Like, what was it about the gospel that was so offensive that people were, like, coming after him with pitchforks? It's strange to our ears where we live in a country that is marked by a general level of religious tolerance. And we live in a part of the country where church is still understood why people would go there. But Paul was run out of town and his, his motives were called into question. Now, this guy's just in it for money, some people were saying. Or he's wrong. He says, our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. There's something about the gospel that we simply can't adjust in order to make it sound more easy. When we try to make the gospel sound easy, we start to reduce its power to save. So we have to share the gospel in its 
fullness. And when Paul did this, he experienced, I think, the same things that we might can expect to experience. That there will be a violent reaction against it. I mean, you you just share the Romans road and you might get shrug of your shoulders, but you start applying the gospel to real life. You start applying the gospel to issues of sexuality. You start applying the gospel to issues of marriage. You start applying the gospel to some of the, the hot topic issues in our culture and you will get a violent reaction. So what is Paul's response to this? Paul's like, this is not my message. I didn't create it. I didn't come up with it. Our our appeal does not spring for error, from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. We speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Friends, there is coming a day when we will stand before the judgment seat of God and the bad words that were said about us will no longer matter. And the only thing will matter is the opinion of the one that we stand before. And the only thing that will matter was were we faithful to the gospel? Or did we edit it and adjust it? Or did we simply fail to share it? Paul's point here in verses 3 through 8 is no matter how it goes, Be faithful. We speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery. I don't think anybody could ever accuse Paul of that. As you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, so being affectionately affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves." He says, listen, we didn't come here. We we didn't take up this gospel in order to gain something for ourselves. We're not trying to platform build here. You know, um, I I, I have thought in my mind, this is a little fantasy of mine. You can do psychoanalysis on this if you want to. Um, But I've thought in my mind what I would say if, if, uh, if there was ever... Um, I, and the reason I say this, I was, I was riding in a, in a car to was in Kansas City. So I was on our way to a barbecue place with another pastor. And we were riding down the road. And I know that this particular pastor had been at his church uh, for 10 years, 8 or 10 years. And I said, now, remind me, brother, your church has been through a lot of change since you got there, Right. And he said, yeah, and he starts telling me about how many coup attempts there were to try to fire him and how many, as a matter of fact, um, when he got to this church, they were about 100 people, uh, and, and uh, four years later, they were about 250 people. But then they went through a little season where they went from 250 to 230, and because of that, some people got mad, uh, you know. And, uh, and so they, they uh, actually succeeded in a vote to cut his salary because the numbers were down. Uh, and, and things like this. And, um, and so he was telling me all the travails, and he actually took a, 
he actually took a season and, and uh, went to Capitol Hill Baptist Church to become a part of, a, uh, of an internship there just to determine if he even wanted to stay in ministry. He had been so uh, mistreated and, and discouraged, and he and his wife were just in dire straits and different things like that. And so I, I, it made me wonder like, uh, what I would say if somebody uh, you know, told me, um, you know, uh, Pastor Greg, if you don't change this, I, 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 might, I might not tithe anymore. Or, or, or something like that. I think I would say um, something like this. Do you remember what I did before I pastored? Like, I crawled in crawl spaces for a living, you know? And I'll go back to doing that if I have to. Like, I will go back to doing that if I have to as long as I'm able to preach the gospel, as long as I'm able not to have to adjust it, as long as I'm able to keep it pure for as long as I live. I don't care, you know, likely in my lifespan, uh, the, the reality of the church in America is the future of ministry is bivocational. The reality is that churches and their ability to sustain full-time staff members is likely, unless a revival comes, is only going to diminish. And so I fully expect that sometime between now and 62, I might, have to, I might be doing a tent-making job. And that's fine if the, Lord, if the Lord does that. But the one thing that we and the one thing that Paul cannot do and the one thing that no minister of the gospel can do is adjust this message. Because when we go to tweaking it, it loses its power to save. That's what Paul says right here. He says, nor did we seek the glory of people. It wasn't for a pretext for greed. We weren't platform building. We weren't trying to build up a big retirement account. Though we could have made demands as apostles, Paul, Paul saying, I could have sashayed into town and said, hey, I'm the apostle Paul. You guys need to do what I say you need to do. He said, I didn't do that. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also ourselves. You see what Paul's saying here? He's saying we were not coming in as charlatans with a message to peddle. We came here and we preached this gospel and we ministered among you because we loved you. And we gave you not only our message, but we gave you ourselves. See the beauty of that? The beauty of a, of a shepherd who, who here is willing to endure beatings and to be run out of town just as long as people can, heap, can keep sharing the gospel, Paul's message to us, church, is no matter how it goes, no matter how it goes, be faithful. 1 Corinthians 1, there are many passages in the Bible that give us this expectation that not everyone will receive this gospel message warmly. John 6 talks about the difficulty, how difficult it is to believe this gospel. Romans 1 talks about the blindness that is over, our, uh, over the eyes of people before they are Christians. Romans 1 even talks about matters of uh, biblical sexuality. 2 Corinthians 3 talks about these things. 1 Corinthians 1 talks about these things. 
The reality is when we are sharing the gospel correctly, it will sometimes bring about a reaction that is not pleasant. You share the gospel with young, educated, urbane people who live near the city and they will tell you that you're thrusting upon them some kind of pre-modern superstition that has all kinds of problematic baggage. You share the gospel in a foreign country and some will say that you shouldn't do that. You're Western colonizers who are going out into a culture that just needs to be left alone. You share the gospel with generally religious people in the rural south. And they'll say, how dare you call me to repentance? Don't you know I made a decision? And Paul says, no matter what reactions come, just keep being faithful. Just keep sharing the gospel. And here's the good news. That even though sometimes it will go poorly, sometimes it will go really, really well. The Bible gives us every hope that when the gospel goes forth, when we scatter the seed, it will fall on good soil. And from that good soil, plants will spring up and fruit will be born from those plants. God blesses the sharing of his gospel. Friends, can I ask, do I have permission to ask you a a convicting question? I'm asking myself this question as I say it. Have you ever wondered... Have you ever wondered if the reason that we don't see more fruit is because we're not doing enough sowing? Have you ever ever wondered if the reason that we don't see these grand stories from the past of revival occurring, have you ever wondered if the reason is, is because our expectations, Satan has come in and told us that, oh, if you share the gospel, it probably won't do any good, so you might as well not, and then we don't, and then nothing happens. Of course it's going to happen that way. If we allow the enemy to sow expectations in our mind that are against what the Bible says we should expect. The Bible says we should expect it to go poorly, but we should expect it to go really, really well sometimes too. Look at verses 9 through 16, and I'll close here. It goes really, really well for Paul. He says this, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you to his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly in this, that when you receive the word of God, this is beautiful, listen to this. When you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it. Not as the word of men, but as what it really is. The word of God which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did for the Jews. You you see what he's saying here. He's saying, when we preach the gospel to you, not only did you believe, not only did you raise your hand during the invitation, you're still following Jesus. And the reason I know that 
is because you're even willing to endure persecution for Jesus. That's really good evidence that somebody is a believer if they're willing to undergo hardship in the way of following him. You see what he's saying? It's beautiful. He's saying, he's saying you guys really believed. This is what you hope for when you go on a mission trip to a foreign country. I mean, it's super easy to, you know, to, to, to roll through some village and to pull up a, a curtain between two trees and show the Jesus film and you get five or six people raise their hands and you think, man, yeah, we're doing the gospel. And we wonder how many of these people are still following Jesus a year later. Paul says, it happens. Paul says, it happened for me. Look at, look at back at, if you got your Bibles open, this won't be on the screen, but back in chapter one, Back in chapter 1, verse 4, uh, Todd read this earlier. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Well, how do they know that? What's the evidence that God has done a work in their life? What's the evidence that God has chosen them? Because our gospel came to you not only in word but in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us. In other words, you started doing the stuff. You started looking like Jesus. You started looking like his people. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. And you received the word in much affliction. In other words, you were suffering. You heard the gospel and you said, you know what? Even though I'm suffering, the gospel's good. I'm going to keep following Jesus. And with the Holy Spirit, with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Not only did they raise their hand during the invitation, not only did they fill out the card, not only did they walk the aisle, if we can use our language, they also uh, got baptized and they started uh, sharing the gospel with other people and they started making disciples. In other words, there's all kinds of fruit coming out of this work. And here Paul all the time was thinking that he had failed. And he sees examples after example in the Thessalonians that when we will just share the gospel, God will do the work. Isn't that what we can hang on to today, church? When we will just be faithful, God will do the work. Do you believe that? Amen. That's our only hope. We have no power to save anybody, but when we are faithful to the message, God will do the work. The good news is this. It's not about us. We have to die. We have to crucify our desires to be received well and to be well-liked and well-universally loved. We have to put that desire underneath the desire to love Jesus and to see people come to know him. And church, my hope for you and my hope for us is that we would be a church increasingly and increasingly and increasingly who acts like we believe this that if we will just share the gospel, God will do the work. Are you willing to join me today in asking God to help us really believe that? Amen. Let's do that together. Let's pray.